Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by NYDIG and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Tuesday, August 24th, and today is going to be a big grab bag news day. So instead of your normal three-topic brief and one main topic, I'll be doing six or seven or even eight brief topics. Let's start with institutional adoption expectations. Yesterday, I shared some results of a recent Deloitte survey that showed just how normalized digital assets were becoming among fund managers. Today, another survey out of the UK said something very similar. Nickel Digital is a digital asset hedge firm that was started by former Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan investors. They recently surveyed wealth managers and other institutional investors and found that more than half plan to increase crypto asset exposure between now and 2023. Over a quarter say that they will dramatically increase their exposure. The reason most often cited, predictably, was number go up, aka the long-term appreciation prospects of crypto assets. Now, to be clear about this study, only 23 asset managers were surveyed, so a relatively small sample size, but those managers oversee $66.5 billion in assets, so it's certainly not small if you're looking in terms of assets under management. Of these 23 managers, 9 said that they had become more confident about how digital assets work, and 9 said that the regulatory environment was improving. In terms of concerns, 16 still cited market structure issues of liquidity and lack of transparency. So, summing up, a very small sample size, but much in line with the Deloitte survey we discussed yesterday, which had, for its part, a much larger sample size of 1,280 managers. Going to institutional news on the other side of the pond, an inside source within U.S. banking Leviathan Citigroup said that the firm is set to begin trading Bitcoin futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, aka the CME, once they get regulatory approval. Apparently, they're seeing a huge surge in client demand for Bitcoin alongside the assets returned towards $50,000. Citi is also reportedly hiring aggressively in London for a crypto-focused team. And this all squares with the May 2021 report from the Financial Times saying that Citigroup was considering jumping into crypto trading and or custody. So the story from the institutional side is pretty clear, but what about regular people? How are they feeling about this big old crypto industry of ours? Well, while fund managers in the UK might be excited about crypto assets, British citizens have some concerns about government-backed digital assets. Politico ran a survey of 2,500 UK adults about their attitudes around a central bank digital currency. Less than a quarter, only 24%, said that they believed a CBDC would be a net positive for society. Compare that with a total of 30% who thought it would bring more harm than good to the UK. These 2,500 citizens had many concerns. 73% were concerned with cyber attacks or hackers undermining a CBDC. 70% were concerned with a loss of privacy. 66% were concerned with increasing government power and 45% raised environmental concerns, which shows how people don't really understand how a CBDC might work, as most CBDC designers aren't really looking at a Bitcoin-style proof of work. In fact, the Bank of England said this summer that a CBDC could help bring the British economy to net zero carbon. Clearly, if the Bank of England wants to get their citizens on board, they've got a lot more work to do. One of the most important developments in this space is that community banks, regional banks, and credit unions can now start offering Bitcoin to their customers. That's right, checking, saving, and now Bitcoin. 
It's all happening seamlessly thanks to a platform by NYDIG that offers institutional-grade custody and compliance. They're also the sponsor of The Breakdown. And if you want to find out more, go to NYDIG.com slash NLW. That's NYDIG.com forward slash NLW. Let's now jump to another part of the former British Empire to look at crypto adoption in India. TLDR, the number of young investors getting involved in stocks and crypto in India is way up, especially outside of the biggest cities. Overall, according to data from the BSE Stock Exchange as shared by the Economic Times, new user registration for crypto and stock brokerage platforms is up 45% to 70 million total users. According to one brokerage, signups from the top 30 non-metro cities grew about 30% faster than their metro counterparts. Another brokerage registered 60% of new user signups from what they call Tier 2 and Tier 3 towns, compared to 30% eight months ago. Crypto platform CoinSwitch Kuber reported 135% month-over-month growth in non-metro city signups, and CoinDCX, which is now a crypto unicorn, saw 48.7x growth in user signups from those Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities over the last six months. One 25-year-old full-time pharmaceutical consultant put the motivation this way. A single source of income is not enough if you want to be rich. You should have a passive income that is more than your active income, which can take care of your expenses. This is the freedom provided by investing and trading. Another 22-year-old put it in the context of the pandemic. Following the COVID-19 pandemic, everything has become chaotic outside, and it's not easy to get a job. I'm not okay with working eight hours a day under someone else. I'd rather be financially independent based on my learnings and my skills. What's clear is that the role of the pandemic is pretty undeniable here. A ton of these folks, especially in these Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities, lost their jobs. But there's also the larger macro context where fiat currencies are devalued because of government intervention, meaning that assets that are denominated in those fiat currencies are up in fiat terms. That makes these strategies look like really good bets over the past year. The cynical or pessimistic take on this is that it's just not a sustainable approach for a country of 1.33 billion people's youth to look to stocks and crypto trading as their careers. The less cynical take is that it's hard to be mad about people getting their first glimpse of financial empowerment and freedom and wanting to learn more to participate in the economy on a deeper level. Okay, but now let's keep up this theme of adoption and look over to NFTs and DeFi. As was pretty predictable, yesterday's announcement that Visa had purchased a CryptoPunk set off an absolute frenzy. Sales volumes yesterday hit $86 million, which is a daily record according to CryptoSlam. In August as a whole, volume has already reached $332 million. The previous peak was July with around $135 million. The average price for a punk this month is just under $200K, which is double last month. But one interesting question is how much of this is normies versus just crypto people flexing? One of the really wacky quirks of NFTs, especially when it comes to these OG art projects, is that one could have a completely, and I mean completely, cynical view about their value and still come away thinking that they're likely to keep being valued. I've seen more than a few people on crypto Twitter, and not just Bitcoiners, basically argue that punks and bored apes, etc. are effectively just a new status symbol for the crypto rich. They're a way to flex how much you've made in crypto. That's obviously a very different narrative to the idea of them being these culture projects that bridge technology and art, etc. But even if one takes that view, there are a ton of people who have made a ton of money in crypto who seem to love this particular flex. That alone can move markets a lot higher than one might think and still sustain some pretty nutty price floors even if attention around them dies down. Either way, while there's certainly increasing mainstream interest in NFTs and DeFi, there are also some indicators that it remains a pretty internal crypto thing. 
Chainalysis released a report today they called the Global DeFi Adoption Index, and here's the TLDR. The rise in DeFi, quote, has primarily been powered by experienced cryptocurrency traders and investors looking for new sources of alpha in innovative new platforms, even when we weight our index to favor grassroots adoption. So this Chainalysis study used three metrics to rank 154 countries. On-chain crypto volume received by DeFi platforms, total retail value, which is the value of transactions under 10k, and individual deposits to DeFi platforms. On-chain volume is adjusted by purchasing power parity per capita. Perhaps unsurprisingly, these stats show that growth in DeFi was driven largely by North America and Western Europe. Now, this is a pretty broad brush to paint with, and I'm not sure that national adoption is the real metric that matters here in terms of understanding how much of DeFi is being driven by retail versus crypto whales. But I still think that the report by Chainalysis reinforces the broad sense that I've shared before, that serious technological barriers to entry have kept DeFi relatively self-contained to the crypto space, which, as I will continue to argue, I think remains healthy. Now, just a few more topics here before we wrap, and let's talk some Bitcoin. Michael Saylor is back up to his old tricks. MicroStrategy has purchased another $177 million worth of Bitcoin, 3,907 Bitcoins to be exact, for an average of $45,294 per Bitcoin. That means that total, the company now holds 108,992 Bitcoin that were acquired for an average price of 26,769 per Bitcoin. Bigger news, however, was Blockstream's $210 million Series B round, which valued the firm at $3.2 billion. The raise was led by a UK investment firm plus the parent company of Bitfinex and Tether. The money is intended to allow Blockstream to push into an expansion manufacturing Bitcoin ASICs mining chips. One last little Bitcoin one as well, Substack, the newsletter platform that has attracted attention over the last year for enabling high-profile defections from vaunted publishers like the New York Times and Rolling Stone, has started integrating Bitcoin as a payments option. The initiative is enabled by OpenNode and currently includes just a handful of crypto-focused publications like folks from Willy Woo and Dan Held, but the goal is to continue to expand. Said Substack, we're excited to introduce this option, even at a small scale to start. Bitcoin payments are fast, convenient, and secure with low fees. We use the Lightning Network for transactions, which are even faster than credit cards. So take all of this together from institutional adoption to Substack enabling Bitcoin payments and focusing on Lightning to people talking about Visa and Punks, and the short takeaway is that there is a whole lot of mainstreaming happening. It's not happening evenly or in the same ways at the same time, but it's happening surely every day. And just like that every day, I appreciate you hanging out. And until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.